welcome to the Bodybuilding Dietitians Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today for what is now episode 166. And as always, you are joined by your hosts, Tiara and Jack. Now today, once again, we do have a Q&A episode lined up for you. So we're going to jump straight into the questions. And Jack, this week, we actually got a number of questions relating to how to navigate the post-comp period. And a few of these, for example, were asking how strict should you be with sticking to your macros during your recovery diet or your reverse diet phase post-show? And also, what are some of our tips for how people can actually avoid having a binge eating episode? Hmm. Yeah, I think not only a single binge eating episode, but I think a lot of the danger happens when it's repeated binge eating episodes and people end up falling into that binge restrict cycle, which is very difficult to break. And a lot of the preparation for the post-show period needs to be done before you actually finish comp. Kind of like before you compete, you need to prepare for that. So it's a, sometimes we both think that coaches don't prepare their clients enough for the post-show period. It needs to be discussed well before you finish. Uh, there needs to be some forewarning of what to expect because I think a lot of competitors do think that, okay, like I, I can step off stage and then it's easy now. Like I've done all the hard work and I won't really have to have much regimentation now that I've kind of stepped off and accomplished my goals. Yeah, it's certainly really important to be having those conversations on what to expect post-show, certainly in the weeks leading into the very final show of the season. But I'm almost under the impression that people should understand what they're signing themselves up for before they even begin a prep. And this comes down to coaches knowing their athletes during the improvement season and during their pre-prep phase. Or heck, if you're coaching yourself, knowing yourself. So this actually comes down to screening someone and seeing, okay, what is their history with dieting? What's their history with their relationship with food? Where are they at? in that space. And if someone does have a history of pretty negative experiences just coming out of dieting phases alone, or for example, right before they actually begin a prep, they really are struggling with overeating episodes where they just completely feel out of control, then you should know that prior to actually engaging in a prep because what do you think is going to happen post-show if someone has that sort of history? So really does come down to screening because sometimes if people are having those tendencies where they just have episode after episode of uncontrolled overeating and they're like, I have to put an end to this. And they almost see prep as an outlet because they're like, okay, I'm going to commit to this thing. I'm going to be highly disciplined for six months Sure, maybe you can demonstrate to yourself that you can rein it in and you can hold yourself together and not have those sort of tendencies. But then post-show, what happens? You know, you could totally spiral out of control. Mm, Totally. And I think going back to the basics of what the post-comp period entails is like from a physiological perspective, we do for, for pretty much every competitor, some competitors more than others, but we do need to gain some body fat, body fat specifically. Like, yes, we can gain a certain amount of body weight and not really gain any body fat just due to water retention and, and glycogen storage, etc. So body fat gain is important. Obviously, the, the, the leaner you are, the more body fat gain you'll need to gain. <laughs> and I think 
often the challenging aspect for every competitor is going to be the balance between too much body fat gain and too little because I've I've more so experienced the, the latter, too little body fat gain, and I'll almost come out of prep and just kind of still be in prep for quite a long time, which is equally as bad in my opinion as gaining too much body weight post-comp, which usually stems from uncontrolled periods or either overeating in general or uncontrolled periods of overeating or binging. And the reason why gaining some body fat is important is from a physiological standpoint, we know that starting off with hunger hormones like our leptin and ghrelin will be a bit out of whack. So we need to remind our body that, okay, you're back into a surplus now, you're back into a period or a state where you have enough body fat and you do not need to be this food focused because the thing with food focus is that, and food focus for those people that don't know is just your fixation with food and like a mixture of your appetite, but also like how much you dwell upon food during the day, um, how much do you think about it, obsess over it, etc. And yes, food focus is definitely psychological, but it's also physiological as well. So the first step is bringing your body fat back up to a normal level. And of course, we don't wanna go over the top. Like people can go over the top and they'll basically be at their peak off-season body composition in four to six weeks post-comp. Mm. And unfortunately, it is scary just how quickly the weight can actually come back on in some circumstances. And that is simply just because you are starting off from such a compromised state where the body is literally crying out for some more body fat. So if it finds itself in an environment full of ample amounts of calories, it's probably going to take advantage of that. So Mm. giving some metrics for actually how you should gain weight post-show in a slow and controlled manner. Generally, we quote the recovery diet numbers from 3DMJ, and that's gaining 5 to 10% of your stage weight within the first one to two months post-show. So usually those who get very, very lean for their competition, so let's talk about like top-tier bodybuilders and figure athletes, you're probably looking at gaining closer to 10% of your stage weight within that first one to two months or four to eight weeks post-show. Whereas there are some divisions where you just aren't required to get as conditioned. For example, an ICM bikini competitor, trying to gain closer to around 5% of your stage weight in those first one to two months, that should land you in a pretty darn good spot where your healthy energy availability should be much higher, your training performance is much better, your libido is back, and you just feel like a normal functioning human being again. And like you alluded to, food focus is drastically lower and it's not Mm. controlling every single thought of your day. Yeah. And as we alluded to at the beginning, it is a bit of a myth that as soon as you step off stage, it's going to be easy. And that's not saying it won't get easier because it will. Every single week will get a little bit easier, especially if you kind of do bring your body fat up and you have more energy, uh, you, you kind of have more fun in the gym again. And we just need to continue the regimentation, essentially. Mm. Like we do want to relax and I think it's really important to relax, but we also don't want to completely relax because that's when, unless you've had and developed the skills of intuitive eating before, and I do think it's a bit unrealistic for some people to just jump into intuitive eating post-comp because we're in the literally the least intuitive position ever. Like mm. we've just dieted for six months to achieve 
something that really isn't intuitive, which is stage conditioning. So we can't expect to be intuitive afterwards and somehow achieve like a normal body composition. Mm. I, I just don't really see that happening unless you do have some really, really good skills. Yeah, because your intuition is going to tell you to keep eating mm. more food. Yeah, so it does sound kind of harsh, but we need to find a balance between still being regimented, like just like you were in prep, but also finding some room for more balance as well. Mm. And the thing is, as the weeks go on and on, it'll be much, much easier to achieve that balance until the point where you will be able to be completely balanced and, and be more intuitive combined with still being able to tick off your like bodybuilding related check boxes as well. Mm. And I think this is probably going to be a pretty unpopular opinion, but heck, it's our podcast, so I'm going to say it anyway. I personally think that the reason why a lot of people have pretty negative experiences post-show is because they almost psych themselves out and they preempt themselves to have a negative experience post-show because it might just be me, but everything that I generally see on social media related to post-show, it's always painted in a very negative light. People always talk about how difficult it is. And yes, again, we're not saying that it's easy, but there are a hell of a lot of other things in life that are much tougher that you're going to have to conquer. But I just feel as though whenever I see people talk about post-show on Instagram and they say what's ultimately going to happen because it is inevitable, right? Like the purpose is actually to gain some body weight. And with that body weight gain, of course, you're going to gain a bit more body fat. But people just talk about how they just, they dread it, right? They really don't want to look forward to that extra weight gain. And also how they just feel like they have this uncontrollable sense to just ravenously overeat and they do feel like they aren't driven and they have nothing to work toward anymore and they're suffering from those post-comp blues but i just look at that and i'm like that's such a pessimistic way to look at it and you can totally flip it on its head one if you have to accept that okay there's going to be some weight gain there's going to be some body fat gain but look at all of the wonderful things that that's doing for your health. You have more energy. You have better drive in life. You have better drive in the gym. Your training performance is finally coming back. How sad is it in those final few months of prep where training is just so gosh darn mundane? You just mm -hmm. show up doing the same thing after same thing. You're just trying to match your performance. You're just like, I just crave that feeling of being strong again and actually having things to really look forward to in training other than, ooh, look, like my delts are looking a little bit more shredded today. Like you, you're almost like, man, I'd rather actually be seeing my shoulder press go up again than just having one extra striation on my delts. <laughs> mm. But I personally think that people just psych themselves out and they preempt themselves to have this really negative experience post-show when it actually has the potential to be just painted in such a positive light like you can look at weight gain as a really positive thing but also look forward to the training performance and then also looking forward to the food too because some people they've got to really dig at the end of show right like you've got to dig down sometimes like south of 100 grams of carbs but you have to be realistic in thinking that okay cool well at least my maintenance is probably double that so when you actually put in that perspective you're like I was able to survive and I was able to push on a hundred grams of carbs. I can now eat over double that per day and probably still maintain my weight. So 
it's just about trying to flip it and look at it from that perspective and be like, wow, it's actually not that bad. I can do this. Mm, for sure. I think just like some people are going to have amazing preps, some people are going to have average preps or horrible preps even and never want to prep again. The same will go for the reverse or the reverse process or the recovery diet. And that's just that's just how it is. Like not everyone is going to have an awesome experience. And that's where we can learn from that experience mm. that if you do decide to compete again, like my first ever uh, recovery period, I didn't gain enough weight. I literally went from 76 to 78 and then stayed at 78 for months. And it wasn't very fun, that's for sure. Cause like I basically didn't really, I had strided glutes for like months after the show. And then I took that into my next kind of recovery process where I gained weight a fair bit more quickly. I, I felt better more quickly. I remember probably having some pretty bad food focus, which is normal for maybe like four to six weeks post comp. And after that, it got so much better. Like I, I was in a position where I did, I enjoyed food a lot, but it wasn't to the point where it was annoying to have to kind of um, ignore it. And like a, a, a point that I brought up on bodybuilding down under was that me and you, like we, we every single weekend, like we would kind of make these different foods. And that was kind of a way for us to, I guess, enjoy our food focus and to release some kind of pent up desire for food. But like that didn't even last that long because we got to a position where our food focus came back down. We didn't really care yeah. enough about food to actually continue having those fancy meals, which some, which to be honest, maybe is not a great thing necessarily, but from a point of food focus, it kind of, it, it showed that it had lowered quite extensively. Yeah, it was a good sign, you know, mm. when the rest day roasts just got phased out. Mm. And I think for those people who are stuck in uh, like a binge restrict cycle, first of all, like it's, I wouldn't recommend necessarily labeling yourself as someone who is stuck in a binge restrict cycle. Mm. Like as soon as you paint a label onto something, I think it becomes a little bit more concrete. Yeah. Same with saying, oh, I'm, I'm an anxious person or I'm depressed. Like mm. don't give yourself that sort of diagnosis. No, don't. And I do have two main recommendations. Like, well, I'm interested to hear yours as well. Maybe you'll just agree with me, but I think have, having like a binge episodes post comp is quite different to having binge episodes in terms of someone who isn't a competitor mm. because there is a very, very, very strong physiological component to binging post comp. Mm. Whereas someone who is a normal body weight, there's not that as much physiological sort of desire to eat mm. food. So it's almost like at the beginning, it's more of a physiological just mm. response because you really are very, very hungry. But then as time goes on and you're like, no, my appetite hormones should have normalized by now because I, I have a healthy amount of body fat on me. Mm. It's almost like that's carrying on and it's then dipping into, okay, this is a very psychological issue. Yeah, for sure. And I, th I actually have three recommendations. So I'll, I'll start going into these and like, by no means is this tailored to anyone in particular. It's literally just what I would tell my clients and what I would tell myself too. So first one is just, you need to give yourself time. You're not going to be back to a hundred percent, like two weeks post comp. Like I would say three to four months to be completely back to normal. But in terms of like severe food focus and just feeling still pretty crap, I would say like around four ish weeks. Mm. 
uh, maybe even earlier than that, depending on how much how much weight you gain post comp. Like if you're if you gain ten percent of your stage weight in the first four weeks, you're probably going to be feel relatively okay quite quickly. Mm. So point number two is to stop the restriction aspect of the binge restrict cycle because this is probably the reason why it continues on to being a cycle for most people is that they overeat and then the following day they undereat or they restrict in other fashions. So they might fast, they might just go back to your prep food, your standard prep food or prep macros, or they might be on the Stairmaster for half the day. And the reason why this isn't good is because it, it basically tempts people into binging again mm. because one they feel accomplished that they're like hey i just worked off all that i feel better now and like they might have a few endorphins mm. and feel a bit happier about that and then it will just kind of tempt them combined with an ex- extremely high appetite because you've just restricted you're then tempted to binge again and because you've somewhat successfully basically restricted and kind of purged the the calories you've eaten you've just proven to yourself that potentially like this is okay yeah it's almost like you're justifying it that oh i can get away with this and that you won't experience the ramifications when you know those ramifications are clearly building up even if it's just reflected in just like your scale weights normalizing because you're like wow i can eat this copious amount of food but the next day if i fast or the next day i do a copious amount of exercise and then have a normal meal and the next day after that i'm still the same body weight ooh maybe then that i can somewhat get away with it or it's like a get out of jail free card mm, except it's not really no absolutely <laughs> like there's like an extra lock on your jail cell almost like being secretly put on there mm. so my third point would be don't try and keep it to yourself so hopefully you have a partner who is supportive of you otherwise hopefully you have a coach who is supportive. And if, if you don't have either of those, then I would recommend getting external help, like professional help through a psychologist potentially or a dietitian, and just someone that you can maybe help hold you accountable or at least help you support you because you, you don't necessarily want someone who is an enabler. And what I mean by that is like, you've just finished 25 weeks of prep and Someone who's like, hey, you've just done all this. Like, who cares if you eat, continue eating? And they just kind of keep encouraging you to eating and eating and eating. And they might even encourage the binging because... Because they're like, oh, you're still so skinny. You know, mm. like you can afford to have this. You can afford to have that. Or that person right after the show who's there waiting for you with an entire box of donuts. And then mm. you've also got a list of restaurants that you're going to hit up over the next three days. Yeah. <laughs> but that's probably one of my big recommendations is somewhat don't set yourself up to be in this position and don't just like submit to the fact that other people on social media are saying oh it's so tough like you're just bound to fail and then you just again submit to that like there is another way you actually do have the potential to have a pretty darn positive experience post-show but just don't set yourself up to be in that position where you just accept that it's going to be really tough. I'm going to be out of control. And then also doing those little things. Like if you do catch yourself being so highly food focused that you are saving like all of these photos of food and you have them on your phone in a little album called like post comp treats, or you're starting to hoard food, 
You know, like for example, you're going to the grocery store and you're buying chocolates that are on sale and you're keeping them in a little corner in your pantry for post-show and you might even put like a big bow and a ribbon around them for like, you know, a treat like that. Or, you know, you start a Facebook page prior to even finishing your show where you're like, everyone come out to this all you can eat buffet with me and um, everyone has to get a dish and give it to me or something like that. Who can eat the most dessert? Like, don't set yourself up to be in this position. Mm. By all means, we're not saying post-show, go home and have 100 grams of rice with 120 grams of chicken breast and some green beans and a little bit of olive oil or something. But there is, there has to be a happy medium. Yeah, I think the... I'm honestly of the opinion... Like, I don't disagree with you, but I'm a slightly different tangent where I think the first one or two days post-show, like, by all means, scratch that itch. Mm. Like, I... I went above and beyond post-show, you know that. Um, and like it, it got to the extent where it was my appetite that, or my stomach capacity, which was the limiting factor, not necessarily, I still wanted to eat more and I'll fully admit that. But the thing with me is I, I, I knew it was just going to be that day. Mm. And if you're someone who can do that, by all means, go for it. Like go to that buffet and make it celebratory, like have, mm. do stuff with friends, but like don't make it day after day after day or mm. week after week. Um, yeah, that's, that's just, and I think that's where tailoring it to the, in, to the individual is important. Whereas someone like you, like, I know it's not particularly what you're excited about <laughs> having an all you, like an all you can eat day. Yeah, not necessarily. Like what I'm genuinely the most excited about post comp is just becoming a better bodybuilder. Like I am just so excited at the very end of a season where I've stripped myself down and I've seen what I've delivered to the stage and I'm like, cool, how can I improve? And, mm. and I mean, just because if you're listening to that and you feel like you, you might be wrong because you're not like Tierra, that's not true because mm. Tierra is just like a, a special person. So <laughs> like I still want to improve post comp, but I also want to eat food as well. Yeah, absolutely. But the angle that I'm coming at this from isn't to say that, oh, I'm superior because I've never suffered post comp because for anyone who's been listening to this podcast for the past number of years, or perhaps they know my story because maybe they've listened to another podcast or maybe they don't, but I guess I'm just here to say that I sure have struggled before. It may have not been post-show from after I competed in bodybuilding, but boy, I suffered from really severe disordered eating for three years from grade 11, grade 12, and first year uni. And I was in a really, really bad spot. And that was the hardest thing that I ever had to break out of. And three years to be suffering from just really awful disordered eating that's freaking rough and i feel as though i've been through somewhat of the experience that someone would have gone through if they were just very misguided through a comp prep because back in grade 12 i just got infatuated with the scale and being as skinny as possible and i just irresponsibly put myself into a very large energy deficit and i started running a lot and in the space of like 10 weeks, I lost 10 kilograms. So I went from like 64 kilograms all the way down to 54 kilograms in a very unhealthy manner. And then once I reached that 54 kilograms, I didn't know what to do. I was completely lost. I had no sense of direction. I had just accomplished what I thought was a big feat in terms of woohoo, I've lost a lot of body weight. I'm really thin now. 
but I didn't know what to do with myself after that. And unknowingly, I was suffering from all of the symptoms of REDS. I had major disordered eating and I fell into this really, really nasty trap of that binge and restrict cycle. And I, I know what it's like to hoard food. Like for example, I remember going through this huge dieting uh, phase, dieting phase, more just like me as a teenager crash dieting and just hardly eating anything. But it was around that time of Easter in high school. And when you're in all of your classes, like teachers are handing out little chocolates and things like that, I started to hoard all of these things. And I would just keep all of these chocolates and I put them in this big Ziploc bag and I kept them in my bedroom. And then once I'd finally accomplished that goal of reaching that 54 kilograms, eventually I cracked and I just fell into this really awful cycle of just binging. And I remember being in my bedroom, you know, like 1am in the morning. And I just, I felt like I just, I'd fallen off a cliff and I slipped and I just lost all sense of my discipline and lost control of who I was and what I wanted to achieve. And I would just crack and I would cave in and I literally lost control and I couldn't help myself. So it would be the early hours of the morning and I would break into this big bag of just candies and chocolate. And I had a big jar of peanut butter in there with a spoon. Like this thing was literally sitting right next to my bed. And I was just trying for dear will to hold off from temptation. But you know, you pour water over stone for long enough and it's going to crack. And eventually I did. And Oh God, that was one of the hardest things that I'd ever gone through because I would just eat myself absolutely sick until I couldn't eat anymore. And then I'd usually fall asleep crying. And then the next day I would try to not eat anything at all, go on a massive run, literally fast for the whole day. And then the day after that, I'd feel somewhat back to normal. And I would just get back onto my very restrictive meal plan, go to school during the week, and then usually would come to the weekend again. And I would just break down and crack. And I suffered with that sort of cycle for like, oh God, like three years of just majorly disordered eating. Cause I was I, I had no education, I had no one to guide me. And honestly, like I didn't speak up. And during that time too, boy, like social media and people sharing all of these things, it wasn't a thing. You know, this was like back in 2014. I didn't even know what bodybuilding was. <laughs> so I almost feel as if though I went through like the gnarliest, worst post-comp experience ever before I ever even got involved in the bodybuilding industry. And by the time that I actually did compete in bodybuilding, which was like beginning of 2018, so many years later, my relationship with food was so much better because by that time we'd gone through a three year bachelor degree in nutrition and exercise science. I'd really worked on myself, but ultimately to break myself out of that binge eating cycle, it really came down to two things. One, it was accepting that I am not meant to be 54 kilograms. Hell, during that phase, the lowest I actually ever got down to was 51. And the fact that now I am sitting comfortably at 69 kilograms at the exact same height, the thought of being 51 kilograms, just skin on my bones, makes me shiver. Like I don't even, <laughs> it's interesting. Cause I think back to that point and like, I never even took photos of myself. I was like so obsessed with being the smallest version of myself, but I never actually 
felt like I quite achieved it. Like I was always like, there's, I can always give more. I can always eat less. I can always do more. I can always be smaller. I hardly have any photos of myself from that period of time, interestingly. But what I'm trying to say is, boy, I've been there. I've struggled. I've struggled for many, many years. But the way to escape out of that just absolutely awful trap, one is you have to accept that you are not meant to be a low level of body fat for a chronic period of time. It, you, you literally cannot sustain it. As much as it sounds so cheesy on social media when everyone's like, this is not sustainable. You shouldn't strive to have my comp prep body because it's not sustainable. It's legit the truth. Like you get down to a certain point, you're like, I cannot sustain this in a healthy matter, no matter what I do or how hard I try. Like I'm going to crack and I'm going to have some serious psychological and physiological issues. So what really helped me was actually accepting that I needed to put on more body weight. I needed to gain a little bit of body fat, but just gaining body weight in a slow and controlled manner. But that was like eight years ago. And eight years since then, yeah, my body weight's fluctuated depending on whether or not I've competed or gone through dieting phases. But from the lowest at 51 kilograms, now up to where I'm sitting really happily and comfortably and in a really healthy, strong position at 69, eight years later, like it, it enforces that it just takes its sweet ass time. But also another huge thing that helped me too is just learning more about nutrition and health and exercise and becoming a hell of a lot more informed and guided and gaining a lot of mentors and friends and just learning more about physique sport and the bodybuilding industry too. So, oh boy, I know that was a bit of a spiel, but what I've just really come to peace with is that the food has always been there and the food will always be there. You know, like a competition season you shouldn't be food focused. You should be goal focused. And that's what I am. Like I'm always way more focused on my goals because my goals matter so much more to me than food. And also I'm personally under the impression that after a show, you should actually be in that position where you've gotten into the condition required. Like your high carb days that you're leading up into the show, or maybe you're even reversing into that show like on paper, you should be eating a decent amount of food. For example, like you were eating upwards of 400 grams of carbs. I was eating upwards of 300 grams of carbohydrates. And when you're like, cool, this even has me at maintenance at this very small body weight. <laughs> like I actually need to properly get myself into a surplus. If you do that in a controlled fashion, before you know it, you will be eating a good amount of energy every single day. And you'll be feeling much better in your body, in your mind. And Again, I just, I don't think that people should psych themselves out and think that, you know, the moment you step on stage, you have an identity crisis. And for the past six months, you've been this highly disciplined, goal regimented, driven person, but now you've just lost all sense of control. Like that's, that's not true. Like you're still there and you are still fully in control. It really just comes down to having a plan and just really having strong communication with your coach and just having new goals to start working toward. Again, like the best bodybuilders, I would argue in this in this world, they love being in the improvement season. They always ha love having something to work toward. 
getting on stage, that's freaking awesome. But like actually being well energized and strong and like developing your physique in the improvement season, that's going to come from a place of being well fed, but still just practicing those habits and having those characteristics of a bodybuilder, but not, not feeling as though you are somewhat out of control and that you don't have that relationship with food. Mm. Yeah, I think that's, it all comes down to a lot of what you said is who are you as a competitor? Because not everyone is extremely passionate about bodybuilding. Mm. Like some people are just doing a show to experience it for the first time and then never will compete again. Mm. So we've got to kind of broaden our recommendations to everyone in that boat. Mm. I think the final aspect I wanted to touch on for me is like that question about should I, how, how accurately should I stick to my macros and calories? And I think this mainly depends on other macros and calories that you've been given either by yourself or your coach, are they actually realistic? Mm. Because a lot of people will go up to maintenance, which, I mean, the definition of maintenance is that it won't shift your body weight. You're literally maintaining who you are with a given amount of energy. So you do not want to be at maintenance post-show. Like I know that other people have different definitions of maintenance, like maybe maintenance for your off-season before, like that would sure have you in a surplus post-show, but you do not want to be holding your body weight post-show. So make sure you're... Ideally, you do want to stick within a certain realm of accuracy to the macros you've been given, but you also want the macros to actually be correct to begin with and have you in an appropriate surplus. Mm-hmm. And I think the, basically the, the previous answers the other half of that question of like how much accuracy should there be. But let's give some people some actual numbers. So let's say that I set you some macros post-show. I put you on 225 protein, 500 carb, and 70 grams of fat. How much leeway, if, if you weren't Jack Radford Smith, would you allow, you know, or mm. what would you advise a client? Yeah. So after like probably the, as I said, the first one or two days post-show, I would say, Hey, enjoy yourself. Don't be stupid. Like check in with me as regularly as you want, um, stuff like that. And obviously I would tailor it more towards the individual than that. And I wouldn't call, I would only call some people stupid as, <laughs> no. um, so after that i would expect them to get probably within like a 10 percent accuracy Mm. of their numbers after those days and again it's not like they're going to be eating nothing for example um i'll choose one of my clients from the last year and i just won't say who it is but this client he or she they enjoyed themselves post-show for a couple days they gained a decent amount of body weight which is only expected the important thing about what they did is that they didn't try and restrict afterwards they didn't hop back onto prep food they just kind of hopped onto the new macros that i gave them and they hit those again plus or minus 10 percent or show or so and it wasn't easy of course but they did it and they recovered relatively quickly mm-hmm. like they they weren't on a small amount of food either like it was bet- around like 2500 to 3000 calories mm-hmm. which ultimately the body is quite good at adapting so it should be able to adapt relatively quickly to the larger amount of food that Mm. you've been given yeah absolutely it's a it's that combination of scratching that itch but then feeling like okay cool like i'm really ready to return back to some normality now but i think at least in those one to two days post show where it's like you know please just eat mindfully but enjoy yourself i still think it's really important to really hone in on the mindfulness aspect too so I'm usually under the impression or my advice to my competitors is 
I still want you actually sitting down and eating an actual meal. Like I don't necessarily want you to just have a day where you're just kind of picking at everything or you're grazing or just randomly snacking. Like if you actually can still stick to square meals and not even every single one of those meals needs to be a meal out that you buy. Like you can have a nice family meal or a nice meal with your partner, but actually sit down, be very present and actually enjoy it rather than just going haywire with the food. Because again, I think that's where some people can just, it's almost like it lights the flame when they step off stage and that person is waiting for them right there with that big box of donuts, you know, or like all of those cookies. And they're like, try this one, try this one, they try this one. And you're like, oh God, like, you know, like I need to take my shoes off, <laughs> right? Like it's, it's all happening so quickly. So also maybe have a conversation with the people, like your friends and your family too, who everyone just wants to feed you post-show. But think about it like this. Think about as if you were trying to abstain from alcohol consumption and you've just gone through dry July and you feel absolutely fantastic. And then yes, come August, you are actually intending to, maybe I'm gonna actually start to enjoy a social drink every now and again. But come August 1st, you wouldn't want your best friend there with an entire keg of beer being like, let's go! <laughs> because you literally are just setting yourself up for failure from the very get-go. Like you need moderation. You need to be able to ease back in. You can't go from zero to a hundred. And you'd really hope that the people that surround you and your friends and your family, the people that love and care about you, they understand that. They respect that. They're going to support that. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I think the alcohol analogy, although it's not exactly a one-to-one -one ratio or analogy, I think it's still a good one to mention. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one final analogy that I actually just want to end on today, uh, something that you can probably relate competing to or the post-show period to, imagine as though you wanted to go skydiving. And the reason why you really want to go skydiving is because you really admire the people that have the guts to go skydiving. And also you're curious, what's it like to be up in that plane? What's it like to actually have that view from up in the sky? But the compromise of going skydiving, no matter who you are, no matter how experienced of a skydiver you are, you are going to feel that initial drop when you jump out of the plane, where your heart just feels like it's in your throat. And yeah, you're probably going to be terrified. But if you commit to skydiving and it's completely voluntary, I've never heard of anyone being in a position where someone's being forced to go skydiving, unless actually... No, he wasn't forced. Remember on Jackass? Mm. <laughs> that was that would have been one of the most terrifying pranks. Don't get me wrong. But if you voluntarily offered, you're like, yeah, I'm going to go skydiving. And you listen to the skydiving instructor. He tells you everything that you're going to expect. But he tells you, okay, well, just to let you give you a heads up, when you do jump out of that plane, and you are going to jump out of that plane, everyone gets out of this plane except for the pilot, <laughs> you are going to feel that initial falling feeling and there's no way around that so just prepare yourself for it you can mm -hmm. either accept that be calm and cool or you can absolutely psych yourself out tell yourself this is going to be absolutely terrifying i'm going to die you don't listen to anything that the instructor said because in this case the instructor would have been your comp prep coach but you throw that out the window you have an absolute panic attack and you still jump out of the plane, but you freak out. You're trying to rip off the parachute because you're just, you're just absolutely losing your mind. Have you ever been skydiving? 
no, I haven't, but it's, it would definitely, I would keep my cool, stay calm, stay cool, jump out of the plane and enjoy the view. (laughs) But if you were that person who freaked out, it's probably going to end up even worse. Okay. Provided that you survive the crash, you're probably going to break your leg. You know, you're just going to be out of the game for even longer. So it, what I'm trying to relate this back to is post comp. Everyone post comp is going to have those initial feelings of, oh my gosh, I'm really, really hungry. And now I'm in an ample food environment and I'm quote unquote allowed to eat more. So everyone's going to go through that, no matter if you're an amateur or you're a highly experienced pro, but it's just about staying calm, staying cool, listening to your coach, getting through that initial phase. And then once you get out of it, you're floating with a parachute on your back and you're just enjoying the view, which in this case would be in the improvement season. So enjoy it, man. So that's just my analogy there. (laughs) Mm. Requires a lot of successful foresight. Yes, it does. But again, it's completely voluntary, right? Like if you're going to go through a prep, then that's your choice, but you just have to understand the consequences that are going to come with that, with every phase, everything to expect. But 99% 99% of it, it's really fun. It's, it's not, it's not scary. Mm, yes. <laughs> okay. Well, that was an enormous question. I think that's the longest time, Jack, that we've ever spent answering one question. Mm, well, yeah, I think uh, it's a good spot to wrap up on unless we want to answer some more. Maybe we're just going to have to call this episode, what to expect post-show, how to navigate post-show. Mm, I agree. Yeah, well, hopefully it was very helpful for you guys. But Jack, I guess one thing at least we can end on today is something that you learned this week. Yeah, so I did a Woolworths online order for my grocery shop. And not the first time I'd done that, but it was the first time that they were unable to give me everything that I requested. So I asked for seven Granny Smith apples and they only gave me five. (laughs) And I paid for seven. So I learned that it's actually very, very easy to basically get refunds and they don't really ask for evidence or proof. So like I just said, hey, you you didn't give me two apples and they just refunded it. But like technically I could have said, hey, you didn't give me this yogurt or this $30 bag of dog food. Hey, my groceries (laughs) never showed up. Resend them. I want double the food, mate. (laughs) Well, the the guy who delivers it, they do take a photo, but they just take a photo of the bags. Ah. So they don't know what's in the bags. Okay. Well then maybe my theory wouldn't work then. Mm. But I'm, I'm an honest citizen, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't play that game. Were you expecting them to give you a refund or to have a special delivery to bring you your two apples? No, I was just expecting a refund. <laughs> but yeah, they, they must have though, if someone keeps calling up every single week mm. and they're like, well, it's, hey, this it's, is missing, this is missing. It's via AI. Yeah, it mm. would it would obviously they'd just be like, wow, this person's just trying to steal our groceries. Anyway, that's what I learned. Hopefully some of you guys can find use in that. Just... Mm. Catch of the day is pretty similar. Like I remember you and I got a set of bed sheets and it had like this weird little stain on them. And then you just ask for a refund on the bed sheets and they don't even ask you to send back the bed sheets. Mm. Yeah. Free bed sheets. Yeah. But you probably only, and it's, it, there's probably like a cap limit on it. You know, for example, like imagine if you bought something that was like well over like a thousand dollars or something, they would probably ask you to send back the item, mm. but like, $50 bed sheets. They're like, nah, we'll let those fly. What did you learn there? 
okay, well, what I learned this week, because this has been a question that's been on my mind for a long time, because Jack and I have recently moved near the beach and we go for walks along the water. And when we're walking, we see these fish jump out of the water and then jump back in. And I've always questioned, why do they do that? Like, are they just having fun? Like they're just jumping around, you know, having a good time, having a party. But it turns out that jumping fish or flying fish out of the water, the reason why they're actually doing that is because they're trying to escape predators that are in the water. And How maybe, did you learn this? Maybe they're a bit spooked. I Googled it. <laughs> Must be right then. <laughs> well, yeah, probably. Or if, if it's a salmon, you'll see salmon jumping out of water because salmon actually those crazy fish, man, like salmon, they spawn upstream. So salmon would like, they, they will actually jump up waterfalls to keep swimming up the stream to then spawn. And then all of them. Spawn like a video game. (laughs) No, (laughs) spawn as in lay eggs so there can be more salmon in the world. Yeah. That's potato, potato. Mm. But yeah, salmon, man, they, they jump up waterfalls. Those things are gnarly, but these just little fish like at the beach and um, in the Creek and stuff, they jump so that they can escape predators apparently. But then I'm like, it's almost like to me that it's like, well, you know, there's predators in the sky too. Like if you're jumping out of the water and we live near where there's like all of these coastal birds, you're kind of just telling the birds like, Hey, come find me. Maybe Mm. they're just playing like, you know, cat and mouse or bird and fish. Catch me if you can. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Potentially. Yeah. I mean, you'll have to ask your dad. He's the bio marine biologist. Yeah. Why did, why did fish jump? And I also heard once on the Dr. Carl podcast, and this made me think too, like when birds are flying, is it always with a sense of purpose? Like, do they always have a destination? Are they always going somewhere? Or do you think some birds just fly for enjoyment? Mm. You know, just, they're just soaring around, having a good time in, in the sun. That's what I would do. I would fly for enjoyment. Yeah. But I mean, we walk for enjoyment, I guess. Yeah, we do. But like, do other animals, do they do that? Or, or do they always need like a sense of purpose for their, their actions? Mm, you're asking the right person. Yeah. All these questions we're pondering on at the end of this TBD episode. Mm. <laughs> but hey guys, hopefully you enjoyed this podcast. And if you ever see a fish jump out of the water, now you actually know why. It's probably trying to escape some sort of... I'm trying to respawn. Yeah. <laughs> if you see a salmon jump out of the water. No, but little fish, they're probably trying to escape something. Or maybe they are just having a good old time. <laughs> but if you enjoyed this podcast, please remember to take a screenshot, post it to your Instagram stories, tag Jack, tag myself, tag TBD, and we'll catch you next week.